Hi, you're tuning in to Rusty Thomas, where once a week he brings the brilliance of Scripture to every dynamic of life. For the last 40 years, Rusty has served the Lord as a father, minister, and political figure on the streets, churches, and capitals in our nation and abroad. You are going to hear compelling truths that will prayerfully build up your faith and equip you to meet the challenges of life with the confidence of God's Word. This is Kingdom Moments with my father, Rusty Thomas. Well, howdy. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to another podcast with Kingdom Moments with Rusty Thomas. So glad you're here today. God's grace and peace be unto you. And uh, today uh, I'm going to be covering a controversial topic Um And that is, why does it seem that Christianity is the only acceptable religion to hate in this world? Now, on one hand, just speaking of human nature, none of us like to be rejected. None of us like to be hated. None of us, uh, you know, we just don't like not being liked. Um, that's just part of human nature. Um, most people don't want to go out of their way to be hated or rejected or things of this nature. Um, but yet, uh, when a person uh, repents of their sin, uh, puts their faith in Christ, and the Spirit of God regenerates their soul, they are born again, they become a son and daughter of God. Um, you do sort of enter a world where just by the mere fact that you're following your Lord and Savior and living out your faith, seeking to live it out faithfully in this world, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of adversaries. There's, there's a lot of struggle. Um, there's a lot of hatred, especially if you're trying to live you know, by the Spirit of God. You know, the Bible tells us, you know, those that pursue the flesh always persecute those that, you know, pursue the Spirit and uh, live according to God's way. So we live in a time, we live in a world where, you know, when you look at all the so-called hate groups, you know, in the world and in America, and we're famous for... um, taking individuals um, and stereotyping them so we can paint a broad brush, you know, to condemn entire races or religions or whatever the case may be, you know. Um, And so when, when you look at what's accepted, not accepted, there seems to be like one group that it's, again, sort of permissible to hate with impunity, and typically that's the white, Christian, heterosexual male, right? So all the other groups, the feminist groups, you know, the homosexual groups, the transgendered groups, you know, BLM, Antifa, you name it, um, it's open season on white, Christian, heterosexual males. And uh, again, like there's there's sort of this different standards for different folks, right? Because we're always talking about diversity, you know, and tolerance and, you know, things of this nature. 
Well, when it comes to white, heterosexual, uh, Christian males, and when it comes to Christianity in particular, there seems to be this pass, right? Where people are allowed to hate on Christianity, allowed to hate on white, Christian, heterosexual males. In fact, they're commended for it, right? And so it's interesting, um, Andrew Tate, you know, the YouTube influencer who does see a lot of, uh, does see some things correctly as it relates to men and women, uh, but he is not a, a born-again man. His, his mind has not been renewed by the scriptures. Anyway, he just, you know, he went to jail recently, and while he was in jail, he converted to Islam. So apparently he was at least minimal a cultural Christian, but when he went to jail, um, he converted to Islam, and he was interviewed afterward, like, why? Why did you convert from Christianity to Islam? And he brought out something that's very, very interesting, and, and it's something that the church really does need to deal with. But he talked about, you know, there was so much hatred towards Christianity in the world, but what disillusioned him was the fact that not many Christians really kind of fought back uh, to defend the faith. And so he was looking at Christianity through like a manly, you know, uh, you know, grid that, you know, Christianity was fairly weak and effeminate for tolerating such abuse and refusing to fight back. And he saw in Islam, it was a much more manly religion because they're not going to tolerate any attacks against their prophet or their religion. And in some ways, that, that is a kind of a rebuke uh, to the church of Jesus Christ. You know, um, apparently, you know, Andrew Tate never actually took the time to study the scriptures to find out why Christianity is so hated. And then again, what should be the proper response from Christians when we receive the hate of the world, when we're trying to minister the love and truth of Christ? And, uh, you know, I, I just went through, you know, just some scriptures that we do really need to consider in light of this point that Andrew Tate is making. And I'm going to start in Isaiah 56.10. And this is God's word. And this is something um, that might uh, help Andrew Tate as he wrestles through this deal. But scripture says his watchmen are blind. And he's talking about the ministry of, of his day. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. And so, you know, here's a case where, you know, the ministry is compared to dogs, okay? And when the master is being attacked, a good dog is going to bark, right? A, a good dog is going to sound the alarm. A good dog is going to defend the master, okay? And in this case, 
the watchmen, the, 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 the ministry of the day, when God Almighty is being attacked, you know, by the world, instead of rising up to bark, they just lie down, they go to sleep, they become dumb dogs, okay? And so really, it, uh, Isaiah is kind of pointing out what Andrew Tate is pointing out today. And then, of course, you have King David, who is a mighty warrior uh, in the Lord. I mean, he was such a, a valiant soldier uh, in battle. I mean, he, 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 was, he, he was so seasoned in warfare that he wasn't allowed to build the temple because he had killed so many men. He had shed much blood. He was a, he was a bloody man. And so it had to be Solomon, a man of peace, that God ordained to build the temple for him. But yet here's this mighty warrior, you know, crying out in Psalms 119, verse 136. This is what he said. He said, rivers of water run down from my eyes because men do not keep your law. And so here's this mighty warrior, obviously a defender of the faith, right? Whose heart is broken because men and nations do not honor God because they do not uh, obey the holy commandments of God Almighty. And it breaks his heart. He weeps over these things. Okay, and you got to ask yourself, when's the last time you or me or you seen the church you know, come before God in brokenness and contrition because men and nations do not honor God or his commandments. And then, of course, you go to the prophet Elijah, you know, back in his day, who was extremely jealous for the Lord God. Uh, he stated in 1 Kings 19.10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. See, and this is this is something where where Andrew Tate says, I don't see that. I don't see that in Christianity. I don't see that, that they're like very zealous um, for the things that they believe in. Very a very tepid response when it comes to the hatred of the world against Christianity. But you couldn't say that about Elijah, right? He's zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Now, of course, God comes along and corrects, you know, that assumption by Elijah. No, there's 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee nor kissed the image, all right? You're not alone, all right, in this battle, Elijah. But obviously, the Lord appreciated that he was zealous, that he had great zeal, that he was jealous for the name of God, you know, um, for the faith of God, right? And um, and he he defended the Lord uh, to the point where his own life was threatened with death. And then, of course, you come to our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you remember, when, you know, the first time he came into Jerusalem and he saw the money changers and, and the merchandising uh, of the faith at the temple, you know, he's sitting there and he's observing what is going on. And while he's sitting there, 
He's literally crafting a whip. And, and, and it, it's not stated, but you could just imagine, right, that he's sitting there observing, you know, the merchandising of the faith, right? Uh, these money changers, right, uh, using religion, you know, uh, to pad their pockets, you know, unlawfully, right? And he, 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 he's just simmering. I mean, he is just sitting there simmering, you know, using his time to craft a whip, okay? Because he was going to be very conscientious, very deliberate in what he was going to do when it came to his father's house. And, of course, after he, he observes everything, he digests everything, he sees what's going on, he certainly doesn't like it. In fact, he hates it. And he rises up in a very manly way um, with that whip and starts turning over tables and whipping people out of his father's house. And after that all is accomplished, it says, then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And that's what was happening. He was getting eaten up on the inside, seeing how uh, the, the, the Judaizers, what they had done um, to, you know, God's religion, to his temple, to his house. And uh, man, he's just sitting there and he's just getting eaten up. And he obviously acted upon that zeal for the father's house. Now, of course, if Andrew Tate had taken the time uh, and not just be a cultural Christian, but a born again man of God and actually studied the scriptures, uh, his mind would be renewed to these things. And so he, he wouldn't just look at the tepid response of Christians in the world that, that hate the church, but he would take in the time to know the word of God that teaches why the world hates Christianity and what should be our proper response, okay? And, uh, and I could say a lot more about Islam when you talk about a manly religion. Yeah, if, if you were the devil and uh, you wanted to create a religion that takes the most base nature of what it means to be a man with all its lusts, its perversion, its anger, its hatred, uh, and sought to sanitize it by religion. Yep, Islam is your deal, right? And, I, and, I, and when you look at Andrew Tate, even though he has a lot of good things to say about manhood, um, he is still bound, you know, by lust and all these other things. Um, and yeah, so Islam would suit that. Man, I get to be a beast. I get to be lustful, you know, and all in the name of being a man. And my religion endorses it. So, yeah. Um, but I do pray at some point God would move upon Andrew, uh, convict him of his sin, and grant him repentance, saving faith, and eternal life. Uh, that would be awesome. But anyway, um, you know, that's, that's you know, Part of the problem that we see, um, you know, with Christianity in the world and why some people who are not even Christians wonder 
why doesn't the church defend their Lord as these other cults and false religions do their false gods and their idols, okay? And there's a, like I said, there's a point well taken. Why don't we have the same zeal? Why don't we have the same passion? Um, and I think one of the reasons why is because if we're effectual in following the Lord and defending the faith, well, we're going to accumulate a lot of blowback, um, a lot of hatred, right? A lot of attack, persecution, right? And so we end up making an accommodative deal with the devil and the spirit of the age that says, hey, you leave me alone. I won't bother you. Uh, you know, just leave me alone, right? Well, of course, that's a fairy tale. That's not going to happen. You know, I remember when I was in the Hunter First Airborne and we would march and sing cadence. And one of the songs was, there ain't no use in looking down because there is no discharge on the ground. Right. You can moan, you can whine, you can, you know, no, I'm not going to say the word, but um, <laughs> you could do a lot of things. But that is not going to release you from being a good soldier in the 101st Airborne. And how much more are we to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ? Well, anyway, here's a here's a, the Apostle Paul and he gives a warning and he says this. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. And so we know, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of religions in the world, a lot of philosophies in this world, right? We're here on this planet. Uh, we live in a fallen world. Um, it's very confusing. Um, there's a lot of heartache, pain, sorrow, suffering. Uh, we're all trying to make sense of it, right? Like, why are we here? What are we supposed to be doing? What happens after we die? You know, all these philosophical questions that plague the minds of men. And we're trying to make sense of it. And so we come up with all these different philosophical ideas, all these religious ideas, right? Trying to make sense of it. And then so one of the things that the, the principles of this world, right, or the philosophies of this age all right we we, we want to kind of present god um you know pretty much as a summit on top of a mountain right so you know here's god he's at the top of the mountain um and of course god a generic like we don't know who the true and living god is like one of my um struggles with vivek ramasamy um, you know, he has a lot of great things to say and there's a lot of good things he's bringing to the table. And his first um, principle is God is real. I mean, that's when he gave his closing uh, arguments at the debate. He just went through a list of profound statements that all were excellent and very good. But he says God is real. Well, now, he, he, he's Indian. He has a Hindu background, okay? And, and so for, for him, in one sense, for him to say God is real, singular, and not plural, well, that's really not in keeping with his religion if he's still, practice, if he's still a practicing Hindu because they got millions of gods, okay? So he says God is real. Now, of course, what's lacking in that statement is you know what god who, who's god 
are we talking about? Are we talking about, you know, God, you know, just as a concept, generally, like when you pray to whom it may concern up there? Or are we talking about the true and living God, the God of the Bible, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit? And by the way, if he wants to be true to 1776 and the principles and ideals, he has to understand that didn't just come from any philosophy. That didn't just come from any religion. It didn't just come to whomever it may concern up there. I mean, those principles came from a, a Judeo-Christian religion and worldview. Okay? So the point being, they, they present this God like he's at the top of the mountain. But here's the thing. There's different trails, different pathways that can lead men and nations to this generic God. Um, another, you know, slogan from the spirit of the age along these lines is God is too big to fit in anyone's religion. So when that is like the ruling philosophy of the age, you know, that there are many gods, there are many ways to get to God, um, you know, it's basically the God of your choice, like fill in the blank, true or false, you know? Um, so when you have someone come on the scene, like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and he comes along and declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by him, well, in today's age, these are serious fighting words because instantaneously he breaks all the rules of philosophy and religion in the world. And he not only breaks with the world's traditions of inclusivity, but he actually highlights exclusivity. Now, here's the thing. This is a cardinal sin according to the spirit of the age that's ill-affected by relativism. Now, we got to deal with that philosophy. So if you're going to understand why is Christianity so hated, you have to deal with relativism. Well, what is that? Well, it asserts that all nations, ideologies, philosophies, or religions are of equal value. So according to that worldview, there's nothing that's superior or nothing that is inferior when it comes to ideologies and philosophy. So, you know, to put it this way, um, <laughs> like, what do you do in the case you go to one culture and it believes it's good to eat their neighbor and another culture believes to love their neighbor as themselves? Relativism comes along and says, well, who are we to judge? Right. But then you got to ask the, the practical question, right? Is it, do you want to live in a culture that eats their neighbor? Or do you want to live in a culture that loves their neighbor and respects their neighbor? Okay. And so this is where kind of relativism breaks down in the real world. But it has ill affected uh, the minds of so many. And so, you know, you have the Lord coming along and, and saying, you know, he's the way, he's the truth and the life, but he doesn't just stop there. 
In another passage of John, in John chapter 10, he says, Verily, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Now you talk about fighting words. So not only is he saying he's the only way to God, the only way to heaven, but he goes one step further. He actually condemns all other religions, all other philosophies, all other religious so-called holy men, and he calls them thieves and robbers. Well, you can understand right then and there why the world hates Christ, hates Christianity, and hates the church. And so there's kind of like four main arguments uh, against Christianity. And um, if, if, if there's pretty much four, you know, rebukes against saving faith of Christ. So one of them, um, church, Christianity, you're intolerant or you're too arrogant. All right. Because you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. Okay, now obviously there's a there is a level of tolerance that is acceptable in the world and it needs to be exercised by Christians and the world alike. But in our day, tolerance has become an idol and it really is fit for destruction. And um, G.K. Chesterton, he had a lot to say about this attack against Christianity. And he said this, he said, tolerance is the virtue of the man without convictions. You know, when, when, when a nation loses its convictions, when it loses its principles, when it loses uh, something that's worth living for, something worth dying for, something that is transcendent, something that is above and beyond them, uh, a greater uh, purpose in life. Yeah, uh, we, we lose our convictions. We lose our principles, right? Um, he also responded to the accusation by saying, these are the days when the Christian is expected to praise every creed except its own. And I think, again, that's another what Andrew Tate was seeing and the, as the failure of Christianity. You know, um, we're, we're, we're just simply not fighting to defend the faith as we should. And so there is this demand by the world that you have to honor, you have to tolerate, uh, you, you have to accept all these other religions, philosophies, and creed. And the one thing you shall not do is respect your own. And now, this is not sort of related um, to the topic, but I still, I love this quote by G.K. Chesterton, because it really does describe a lot what's going on in the world. He said, the modern world is filled with Christian virtues gone mad. I'm going to say that again. The modern world is filled with Christian virtues gone mad. Uh, is an interesting observation. 
So what are we seeing in the world? Well, we're seeing a lot of these hate groups towards Christianity, right? Who say, you know, judge not, you know, all this kind of stuff. All right. And they love to take the word of God out of context to make it pretext. But we're literally seeing in the name of love, compassion, tolerance, and mercy, we see through that Satan killing, stealing, and destroying the humanity that Christ died to re redeem. And so Chesterton's statement reveals how man, duped by Satan, misapplies and misappropriates appropriates the virtues of God and Christianity to justified wickedness. And, uh, you know, here, here's a statement from Proverbs that talks about the tender mercies and compassion of the wicked are cruel. Notice the wicked have tender mercies, just like God, just like Christianity. Um, they have compassion, just like God. And Christianity so how do we know the difference between the tender mercies of the righteous and the tender mercies of the wicked well the end result of the wicked is cruelty right it's cruel okay so that's how you judge whether it's of God or not okay the next course um, accusation leveled against Christians and which gives the reason why the world hates Christianity uh, we're too narrow-minded and we're judgmental now understand to a certain degree that charge is somewhat true and but it's for good reason you know Jesus warned enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it so you know obviously um <laughs> you know the lord is pointing out there's a narrow way that leads to life and there's a broad way that leads to destruction well the world doesn't take that as a warning you know to consider their ways uh to repent and believe on christ that they might have life and life more abundantly they just think you're being too narrow-minded. And in that narrow-mindedness, you become pretty judgmental. And I know there's a lot of struggle about, um, you know, being judgmental, and the Scripture has a lot to say about it. But the main thing, that the judgment that God forbids is the hypocritical judgment where we're rebuking others and warning others of sin and uh, its consequences when we ourselves are doing the very same thing, okay? And God says, do you think you're going to escape just because you're saying righteous things um, and you want to appear righteous before men, you know, like the Pharisees, you know? But Jesus said, yeah, you, you appear righteous before men, but inside you're full of dead man's bones and everything unclean, right? And so that's the judgment that God forbids. But Jesus says, when you judge, just make sure it's righteous judgment, right? He said, when you're judged, not if you judge. Everybody, listen, everybody makes judgments all the time. 
All right. That's how we make decisions in life. We, we judge whether we should do this or do that. Should we believe this or believe that? You know, it's, it's unavoidable. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just the way life is made up. And so here, here comes G.K. Chesterton again, and he strikes again, right? So his response to Christians being too narrow-minded, he said, do not be so open-minded that your brains fall out. And boy, are we living in an age where most people's brains have just fallen to the ground and this culture just stomps on it, right? So, you know, but here's, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. You know, if you live in a nation and we start distancing ourselves from God and, and we abandon him as a nat nation and a culture, um, there are consequences. And, and, and some of those things, it's not, it's not that you, you, only, you not only lose like spiritual and moral sense, even common sense becomes a casualty. We will be reduced to a place of absurdity. And that's exactly what we're seeing in these days because we rebuke Christians for being narrow-minded. But again, that, that means that our culture and nation has become so open-minded that our brains are falling to the ground. We don't even have common sense anymore. And as far as, again, being judgmental, um, Matthew 7, 1, right? Jesus declared, judge not that you be not judged. Well, miraculously, in this day, this passage of Scripture has replaced John 3.16. So in other words, the most uh, quoted passage of Scripture today is no longer John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That Scripture has been replaced by Matthew 7, 1. And understand, our nation didn't adopt this change to honor God's word, but in reality to justify our many transgressions. The reasons for this observation stems from the chance that we constantly hear from abortion advocates and those who promote the homosexual or transgender agenda, right? Like this is the number one scripture they have memorized and they'll draw it like a gun to shoot down any opposition to their bloody perverted ways. I have consistently found that leftists love Jesus just as long as he doesn't interfere with their godless lifestyles. But here's the deal. When you quote Jesus accurately and applies his truth that exposes their evil immediately, the accusations and the name-calling begins. Phrases like anti-choice, homophobe, born-again bigot. Oh, does it do wonders to silence the church and win the day in the court of public opinion. The church is so scared of the cancel culture, right? So we avoid these issues like the plague. But I am telling you, if the, if the Christian faith is ever going to become relevant again in this nation and the world, we have to address these issues by preaching the word of God. We should be more afraid of offending God than offending people, right? And again, this is why Andrew Tate, um, you know, saw like, wow, Christianity is like so feminized. Like, how can a real man, you know, 
like adopt that kind of faith, you know? And he's, and, and I'm saying he's, he, he really does have a point. It's, it's not a true point, but he does have a point. Okay. Well, Paul Washer, he stated this. People tell me, judge not, lest ye be judged. I always tell them, twist not scripture, lest ye be like Satan. And again, that's what the devil does. He takes the text of scripture, takes it out of context, and make it pretext. For the truth is, when we hear the forces of darkness take up the scriptures in their mouth, especially this judge not business, most often, it is twist the meaning to defend that which is contrary to biblical teaching. After all, who wants to appear judgmental when it might desecrate the idol of tolerance? The answer, of course, is no one. And this strategy has been very successful. As for the church, for the most part, refuses to speak out against the sins that are destroying our nation. Well, in response to this ethical and Moral dilemma, this is my declaration. I judge the non-judgmental spirit of the age that judges Christians for making righteous judgments. I'm going to say that again. I judge the non-judgmental spirit of the age that judges Christians for making righteous judgments. So the next accusation, why the world hates us, the question is, who are you to say? In other words, by what authority, Jesus, do you say and do these things? And what I have learned, brothers and sisters, the world does not like black and white. They like gray. They like to live in the shadows, okay? They do not want to see things come to light lest they be exposed, right? And so it really troubles the world when Christians come along and exhibit conviction, all right? Conviction uh, as the truth is in Jesus and there is no other, right? Um, this is unsettling to the world. You know, to them, it's like everybody needs to be a little bit skeptical. You need to be a, a little bit cynical. You can't be too dogmatic about things, right? I mean, you're just, an, you're just a human being. Like, who do you? You know, why should I believe you and what you say, right? As compared to other philosophies and other religions, you know, again, by what authority do you say and do these things? And why should I believe you, right? Um, and, and this is, and it is a difficult thing, right? And, and the only way that th this is possible, you know, the scripture says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. And I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, you know, when your belief leads to knowing, like, you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know eternal life you know saving faith um once your knower knows yes it comes with great conviction because at that point the light appears and the darkness is shattered and we are set free 
And once you've tasted that freedom and you, you know the salvation of God, you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Um, yeah, you, you're, you're sold. You, you know, you, you're, you, you are going to stand upon that truth come hell or high water, right? And nothing is going to persuade you uh, to deny that. Uh, no threat, no danger, um, no loss of goods, imprisonment, or even martyrdom. Once that's in you and the Holy Spirit has sealed you unto the day of redemption, um, you're going to stand, you know, upon that truth, come what may. Well, this is very unsettling in the world. They, they, they don't like to see people who are overly confident on what they believe. And, 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 and in some cases, that's healthy, right? But I am telling you, not when it comes to Christ, not when it comes to the Bible, not when it comes to Christianity, not when it comes to the saving faith of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? And so we, we, we do have to understand this. You know, our beliefs, and there are many in the world, our beliefs that the world wants to embrace, to be tolerant, you know, to, you know, allow everybody to form their own version of truth, their own worldview, their own faith, right? But here's the thing. Those different beliefs, they do not determine truth. And it doesn't make a difference how sincere we may believe something. It is God's word and God's word alone that determines truth. It teaches man what we are to believe and why we should believe it. Well, then the world comes along with another accusation. Well, that's just your truth, right? You know, my truth is different than your truth. And what again, what makes your truth superior and my truth inferior, okay? And so we have this dilemma, and, and really this kind of just harkens back to the ill effects of the fall, you know, where the enemy tempts our first parents. They say, hey, you know, you eat of this tree of the knowledge and good and evil, and you will know good and evil. And pretty much by virtue of that, you'll become a law and a God unto yourself. And so understand, you know, the condition of the fall is you don't need God and his objective truth, his holy commandment to live by, um, you can reject that and you can eat of this so that you now get to determine what is good and what is evil. And by virtue of that, you become a law and a God unto yourself. And so we see the, the ill effects of the fall with this uh, world's philosophy um, your truth is different than my truth. And so the world says, whatever floats your boat, right? Whatever you think is okay is okay. Okay, right? And then Christianity comes along and says, no, Jesus is the only truth and everybody else is a liar, a robber, and a thief. Well, that totally blows up, you know, our individual truth systems, you know, established by our sinful nature that is in rebellion 
against God. Well, of course, the Lord had a lot to say about why the world would hate him and why it would eventually hate us um, because he personally experienced that hatred. And so the word of God tells us in John 7, 7, and he's speaking here. Here's Jesus is speaking to his uh, brothers and sisters in his own family. And what's interesting about this passage of scripture, you know, Jesus at first was not considering going up to the feast in Jerusalem. And, you know, he's becoming well known. His fame is spreading abroad. And, and uh, but at the same time, he already knows starting already, uh, people want him dead. They're threatening, uh, threatening his murder. And here's the thing. His brothers know it. And man, they, they are just cruel towards Jesus, their, their stepbrother uh, in their family. And they're basically saying, hey, if you think you're something, you think you're somebody special, well, why hide yourself? Go up into the feast, show yourself openly, knowing that his life is in danger and they're trying to provoke him. Um, and so obviously they do not, at this point, they do not believe like he is the Christ, he's the Messiah, all right? And they're just going out of their way to provoke him to his own hurt. And so this is how Jesus responds to his own family. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Now here's the reason. Because I testify of it that its works are evil. In another passage of scripture, he went on to explain, if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned, but now they have no cloak for their sin. And so there's a huge reason why the world hates Jesus Christ, why everybody else in the world can be God except him. The God in me, the God in the tree, right? Everybody can be God except the one true and living God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, okay? And so, you know, here, here's the deal, right? So, you know, he comes down from heaven, you know, the incarnation, right? He grows up, he's ministering, teaching, casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing all these great and marvelous things. But at the same time, he is like the mirror of heaven and he is just coming down and we're looking at this mirror and it's exposing our flaws, our sin, our darkness, you know, uh, and, and it, 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 it was unnerving. It, it, it exposed, right? We couldn't hide anymore, right? Because that's what sin likes to do. Sin wants to hide. Sin wants to, we want to do our stuff in the dark, right? Uh, we, you know, if you're going to commit adultery, you're not going to bring home your mistress to your wife and say, hey, honey, I'm home, right? No, you're going to find a hotel. You're going you're gonna to go out of town. You're gonna, you want to do this in, in hiding, right? That's the way of sin. That's what I've taught my kids all, the, all their whole life growing up. Hey, listen, if you have to think about it, if you if you got to hide, if you got to go in the darkness to do it, you just know you're, you're heading into sin. That, that's, that's the signal, right? That's the, that's the time you got to determine either A, uh, I'm going to accommodate this thing and make room so I can sin, or B, stop it. Cut it off. Have the grace to say no to temptation, right? 
But the point being, brothers and sisters, he is hated for a reason, right? Because the mirror came down, removed the cloak, and we are revealed for what we truly are. You know, we are sinful. We're rebels. We're covenant breakers. You know, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're deceitful. Like every man does what is right in his own eyes, right? Um, you know, we're all we like sheep have gone astray. You know, that is the human condition, and he exposed it. And so what did we do? We smashed the mirror, right? We crucified him on a cross. And that was the great mousetrap that C.S. Lewis talked about because of the princes of this world uh, knew. <laughs> if they only knew, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. Praise be to God for his resurrection. And so the Lord goes on to warn uh, believers, right? Those that would follow him. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. In another passage, he actually says, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. So brothers and sisters, understand this. If you're a true Christian, all right, and you do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but you expose them like our Lord who went before us, be assured you will be hated. It's interesting. Uh, in history, there's great preacher George Whitfield. Uh, he was a great English evangelist. And here's the thing. He was highly hated in his day, uh, specifically from the established churches. And... Um, and one of the reasons, well, in fact, here's, here's one of his statements, all right? You know, he kept a journal when he traveled and ministered. Um, he said that he was honored uh, to have a few stones, dirt, rotten eggs, and pieces of a dead cat thrown at him. Okay, that's, that's in one of his journals one day of street preaching, okay? But the reason why he was so hated is because God powerfully used him to demolish all religious human props that kept men religious but not saved. So he would destroy like religion. He would destroy uh, good works as a means of salvation. He would destroy baptism as a means of salvation. I mean, you name it, whatever men were looking to other than true repentance and faith in Christ, okay, and, and fruit meat for repentance, he would obliterate it. So all these people that were clinging to all these religious ceremonies and religious uh, practices, uh, he, he, he just wiped it out, and he just kind of left them bare and naked before a holy God so that all they had left to them was the grace, the truth, and the love of Christ. Well, of course, he was greatly hated, but at the same time, he led, oh my gosh, so many people uh, to the Lord. And so I want to conclude um, this, this podcast with a quote from C.S. Lewis, and I kind of tie it in okay because understand 
one of the main reasons why the world hates Christianity, hates the church, hates the Lord, because he was exclusive, right? He did not include other religions, other faiths. He's not like us, like in America, when we have a disaster, you know, um, a tragedy befall us. You know, we prayed out all the different religions, all the different religious leaders. And, and I got to be honest with you, it's, 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 it's idolatry, right? And so here we need the help of the Lord our God because we suffered a hurt, a tragedy, a disaster. And what do we do? We offend him by violating his commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not have any graven images. Neither shall you make them, neither shall you bow down to them. And so what do we do after we're hurt? We follow up by breaking his commandments and at the same time seeking help and solace from him. Well, brothers and sisters, it doesn't work that way, okay? So sometimes our cures are worse than the disease. But anyway, here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option for us, neither did he intend to. Well, brothers and sisters, I just want to conclude with this. You know, in light of everything that I shared about why Christianity is the only religion that is acceptable to hate on in the world. You know, are we going to live a life that, you know, follows in our Lord's footsteps? Because, you know, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, and I've seen this a lot fighting the battle through the years. We could be hated for being a Christian jerk, right? We could be hated because we're obnoxious and, um, you know, say stupid stuff, do stupid stuff all in the name of the Lord, right? You could do that. and You could be hated. Um, but that's not the hatred that the Lord wants us to endure. But if we're hated because we love God, and love our neighbor as ourselves, because we speak the truth in love, okay, then, you know, we need to embrace it. You know, and I'm, and I'm not talking about having a martyr's complex or anything like that, okay? I'm just saying, if we're hated because we love God, and we love others, then you know what? 
that hatred is going to turn into a huge blessing in our life, right? The Lord tells, tells us that. Blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness, when men send all evil against you falsely for my name's sake. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, right? That seems so difficult, so impossible. Why should I be glad? Why should I rejoice when the world hates me? Right? When they say all manner of evil against us falsely, right? Doesn't seem like a good time to rejoice, but the Lord said it is. So the deal is, are we willing to be hated, you know, for the cause of Christ and for the salvation of others? Because here's the thing, brothers and sisters, and I've seen this so much in my service to God in the battle, you know. We'd go out, you know, death camps in the street and the culture and halls of power and minister the gospel of the kingdom and we'd expose you know our national sins and abominations right and boy the blowback would be intense i mean the enemies of the lord would you know, express extreme hatred and threaten us and sometimes physically attacked us you know and uh you know of course getting beaten up and thrown in jail and all that kind of stuff and so, you know, initially, yeah, there was extreme hatred, you know, towards us who were, you know, spreading the gospel of the kingdom and confronting the bloody idolatries and the perversion of men. And, uh, but I will tell you, there were a few times where, yeah, they started out initially, but like they came at us like roaring lions, like wanted to literally tear us from limb to limb. But before they left, they fell on our shoulders and wept. And they became humble lambs of the Lord. Right? And so, you know, what was the deal? Well, we were willing to be hated for the cause of Christ. And that was the very thing that the Lord used to break the power of darkness in their souls and to set them free. Because the way we responded to their attack the way we responded to their their hatred, you know, we followed the teaching of the Lord. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you. When you're cursed, bless them, right? That's how the Lord taught us how we're to respond. And there's something about that that breaks the powers of darkness, where they see Christ in his glory. And God grants them the gift of repentance saving faith and eternal life. So brothers and sisters, I, I pray that this uh, podcast was a blessing to you, um, that it helped you to come to grips with why Christianity is so hated in this world. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to conclude with my usual, keep pressing on to the high call and prize. God bless you saints. Till next time. <laughs>